One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 326, I believe, of the No Encore Music Podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick is with me. This is the Kendrick Lamar Review episode. No top five this week because we want to give it proper consideration. We will have a new section. Are you ready for this Herculean task, Craig? Can I just say, how dare you? 326, I believe, because I adjusted the number. You're just like, I'm not sure about that one. I haven't double checked. Um, I'm never sure. I'm not ready it's, for this task whatsoever. I'm going to quickly. It's, 320, it's 326. It's definitely yes, 326. Yes! <laughs> it's, right. it's been quite the week getting stuck into it. Um, I'm glad we didn't do a top five, right? I don't think I would have been able to take both on this week. How did you get on with it? Well, let me uh, let the listener know what you have written down in the running order. It says uh, Patreon plug, which I should probably do right now. Patreon.com slash Noancore, everybody. If you want to help support this independent show, episode previews, playlists, bonus episodes, you know it. Patreon.com slash Noancore. Kendrick Lamar album review is written down here. And then it says, no top five, because we take our roles as critics seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds like a very Dave Hanratty thing to say. But I didn't say this. Craig wrote that down. Yeah, the tone of it's kind of quite, um, does it offend you? Yeah, isn't it? With the question mark as well. Um, I mean, this weekend I ignored a lot of reviews, a lot of glowing reviews of Kendrick um, because they seem to emerge within 24 hours and no advanced copies of this very lengthy double album dense text after an artist had been away for five years and I was like how do they do it and I'm not sure they do Dave um so yeah we'll talk about that specifically yeah a lot of the written stuff um you know people jumping on radio shows and doing podcasts and discussing it is grand obviously but being that you know that thing of like star rating my written published review 
I've had two and a half listens at my desk. Eh, not great for me. I know people are under pressure, but Jesus. Yeah, again, it is something we talked about before, and I'm sorry, but we're going to talk about it again yeah. because it is a facet of this uh, this this album uh, beyond just my usual kind of ranting. It actually does tie into the themes of the record in a weird way. Um, but before we get to the news, or maybe this is news. Oh, it is um, news. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do the honours here? <laughs> New One Direction accent has dropped, Dave. It has dropped. We both <laughs> stumbled across the clip. It's probably the rest of the world did. Um, and we're just like struck by the thing of like, this is content. This is no encore. We have the audio of Harry Styles' upcoming um, album on the show. And <laughs> we're all very excited about ha- Harry's house. Harry's house? Harry's house. We're all also very excited about his... I won't give the game away. Let 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 the listeners figure out themselves where about this accent is coming from because I don't think it's transatlantic. We'll get into it. Here's the clip. Life feel to you in terms of pace at this point in your life? I think like I'm embracing both very much. I think in moment to moment, I, f- I feel like I'm always working at being more present. I feel like I've got a lot better at it. I feel like I'm able to celebrate the moments that should be celebrated. I don't feel so relieved, kind of like, that could have been really bad. I'm like, it's really good, and that is really fun. Because I don't feel like the people around me, the friends around me, kind of, I don't feel like their love is conditional. I mean, content-wise, it's nice to hear that he's in a good place. Um, we're not quite sure where that place is. Speaking to Zane Lowe there, if people thought the, the first voice was Harry, it wasn't, it was the second voice. Um, down Under, I was thinking. It's a good bit of Australian yeah, there. And maybe Irish. Thinking, he kind of sounds like he could be in Boys Own. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, well, I, I love the bird song in the background. It's very calming, very, it's very soothing, yeah. Very exotic, yeah. It sounds like a Headspace app or something. Yeah, um... I I think it's mostly Australian, and there's a little bit of Dublin in there as well, and a slight twinge of American. It's 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 very weird. There's it's very a, eclectic. I don't I don't know what he's going for. Yeah, there there's a good dose of Irish. Like I was kind of thinking, he's from I think he's from nearby Birmingham originally. So it's kind of like it's almost like Jack Grealish if Jack Grealish like committed to the Irish squad and spent a lot of time here. It might have been that kind of mix. But I don't know. I mean. In fairness, it obviously is very natural. It's something he's just picked up because he's constantly crisscrossing the globe. Like, it doesn't feel performative or anything, but it's just an absolute patchwork. I mean, it's better or worse than Lean Pains? I don't um, think there is a worse in this scenario. They're both phenomenal. <laughs> it's not quite as, as attention-grabbing, yeah. um, but it is interesting nonetheless. And yeah, so as of this podcast being out, Harry's House will be out, of course, in the world. Uh, I will be reviewing it on RTE Arena. And of course, much in line with my Kendrick problem, where it's like, didn't get an advanced stream. I got to listen to it from seven in the morning on my shift and just do my best with it and very much caveat the fuck out of it by saying, I can't really put a score on this, but at the moment I'm currently feeling this, I suppose, because this is the problem with major releases in a way. It's a first world problem, but it's a problem. Again, we'll get to it later. Yeah, I remember... As for... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I remember years ago, the, the first Red Hot Chili Peppers album without John Prashante. I am... Um, I had, I didn't get an advanced copy. I was reviewing it for Hot Press, but I was brought to um, the label to get one listen for the main review. One listen in the fucking label's place. Um, so yeah, I actually included in the review, I've had one listen. Uh, didn't get an advanced Did copy. 
Yep, it went in. And also, it hmm. wasn't quite true because after my listen, I went home, went on the yes. internet, and it was mm-hmm. already out there. <laughs> Not saying how, but I did get in my five listens. Um, but I still had a review, like in good conscience, I couldn't put in. You Professional know. critic. Yeah. I went to the record label to listen to Muse's album at that time, The Second Law, I think it was. And I got like maybe three listens in. And again, you're just like, I understand it from the point of view of you want to avoid leaks. But obviously in the case of the Chili Peppers with the Pepperman there, it didn't work. Yeah. Whereas... Um, it just always galls me a bit. I'm like, I'm not going to leak the Harry Styles album. It would be traceable. My career would be over. Yeah. I'm not a prick. It's for the good of everybody that journalists get access and trust. And there are professional reviews out there already. They're out during the week. Granted, they came, you know, the big outlets got them, like the Guardian, New York Times, whoever. It's just annoying. It's just irritating. Um, Harry, Harry Styles, though, um, talked about this on No Oxcord recently. Patreon.com slash No Encore for No Oxcord if you want to hear it. Uh, I'm excited about the album. I'm curious about the album. But unfortunately, Craig, I won't be reviewing the album next week. I won't be here. There will, in fact, be someone taking my place. And to find out who that is, listener, you'll have to wait to the end of the show. But in the meantime, <laughs> this show tease. goes on. Let's uh, let's have the old news thing there, please, Adam. Hey, you heard about the good news? Yeah, not good news. Um, yeah, I should say first of all, you can probably hear me. You can probably hear me pouring a glass of sparkling water and ice there in the background. I do apologize. I thought I would get. I thought I would get it done before the news thing ended, and it turns out the glass was bigger than I realized. But the glass is unfortunately half empty, Craig. When it comes to our first news story, but it's totally Isn't empty for um, this artist. Um, Vangelis has passed away, seventy nine. Um, he had been ill, apparently. He was getting treatment in France. Um, he, he passed away in hospital. Literally just broke. I saw it on the train on my way home, rushing home to record this app. And really upsetting. Um, still listen to his stuff a lot. Obviously, you know, if people aren't aware, Greek composer, musician, known for his kind of synth-heavy stuff, soundtracks. Like, I guess he's inextricably linked to Blade Runner. Um, just what a perfect kind of melding of music and um, cinematography and world building and yeah, a tremendous. Charts of Fire, I think he actually won the Oscar for, he did indeed, uh, reached number one in the US charts and really kind of, um, the word ethereal is kind of made for Vangelis. Um, did a lot of interesting kind of other work as well. Um, he's got a really interesting album with uh, John Anderson from Yes!, it's called John and Vangelis, which is worth checking out. There's a couple of kind of curios as well dotted throughout his career or kind of proggy things, which are quite good. Dave, obviously you're hugely familiar with his oeuvre. Um, thoughts on the man? Yeah, I mean, he was one of a kind, like seriously a pioneer. I think it's always in these situations very interesting to see how the tributes kind of go. And a lot of people are basically stepping forward to be like, you know, this guy kind of paved the way for the kind of music I make. I mean, you mentioned Blade Runner. It's a touchstone to go to. Maybe it's an obvious sh- selection or shout, but it does that film work without it? I mean, probably, but does it work as well without it? No, it's stunning stuff. I mean, like just like his his unique style was fucking beautiful, and it was a hell of a thing to read as I was like getting ready to leave the office. I was like, oh, come on, I'm like seventy nine. Like it's it's you know it's not that old, you know. Like yeah. I don't really kind of. You know, he just felt like like he feels like I was going to say like he's like the godfather of synth, but I think that's I think that's Giorgio Moroder, so I don't think we can take that from him. But a pivotal figure, uh, one for you know production heads and people who love great movie scores, etc. Uh, 
Yeah, it's just it it sucks. I, like it's it's we we were supposed to start off the new section by talking about the Eurovision, Craig, and unfortunately we've had to. Yeah, we'll get to it. To, uh, there's yeah, a new, but rest in peace, Vangelis. You fucking ruled. Oh, and people should check out um, Rachel's song, which I think is my favorite song you from that. that. Yeah, I adore it, yeah. and it's not in the film. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm like, what? This is the best piece of work from Blade Runner, and it's not in the film. But yeah, check that out. I think I've said before, like there are those, you know, like, there are those ASMR videos where it's like, oh yeah, you, you sent know, me a link to like a ten hour yeah. long one. It's just so good. Ten hour, and it's like ten hour, like Blade Runner in the rain yeah, music. Yeah, it's so and well done. I find that I, I, I actually don't go there enough because I do find it incredibly relaxing and I also found that like I've, I, I've, I've really dropped off the ability to read books as sad as that sounds. I used to love books when I was younger and my attention span has been completely broken by modern living. Um, but I read a book there a while ago and it was very much a case of I'm putting my phone over here, I'm throwing my in-ears in, I'm throwing the Blade Runner thing on and I'm going to read this book and it was a perfect marriage. So, and you know, some of that music is directly his and some of that is inspired by him. And it's fucking amazing. So, if nothing else, thank you for that, Vangelis, and rest in peace. Yeah. As for the Eurovision, Craig, did you watch it? I did not. I watched the scores, which is obviously the best bit. There's breaking news, by the way. I've just realised uh, it's a big one for this show. The Ivor Novellos are on as we speak. Did you know this? No way. Yes. No, I did yeah, not. It's popped up on my thing. Do you want a snapshot of what's going on? Because it seems to have been happening since late afternoon. I've got like... Yeah, let's the... just turn the rest of the show into an Ivor Novello live, live tweet fest or something. So, Google News, just there's a kind of an assortment of headlines just um different publications pulling out their kind of um <laughs> their best stuff and it's a real eclectic mix so the guardian leads with um dave crown songwriter of the year over novella awards a uh, fair play to him um it's of course the big one for new listeners to the show we adore the over novellos i can't quite remember why dave is it because they've i think it, we might have got into it because we realized they awarded um stuff to like good 90 songs and I think they gave Gary Barlow songwriter of the year once and we're like yes they know their onions <laughs> what a hill we chose to die on um speaking of Gary Barlow take that Mark Owen looks very different after hold on this is the Irish mirror looks very different after retro makeover with long hair and tash Mark Owen 50 stepped out in London after shaking off his old look for a new bohemian vibe. I uh, was stepping out at the Ivor Novello Awards in London. Stepping out at the Ivor Novello Awards. A night on the tiles at the Ivor Novellos. Perfect. I hate this thing, by the way. It's been a thing for a while. It's still a thing where it's, you know, you won't believe what, what they the look cast like of now. Stranger Things look like now versus when, yeah. Do you know why? Because they were kids and it's been about six or seven years. Guess what happens in that time, guys? Ridiculous. <laughs> he's looking kind of fucking well. click it, man. Yeah, he's got a double-breasted suit jacket. It's kind of something I would wear, to be honest. He's obviously pulling it mm-hmm. off better because he's Mark Owen. Um, Sam Fender jokes he plans to destroy a Keir Starmer pinata with his Ivor Award. Oh, uh, wow. so he won one, didn't he? the Express and Star. He did. He won Best Song for 17 Going Under, which is a great Very song. Very good song, and it's in my on-repeat at the moment, which, is, which must mean that I like it. Uh, in must and then finally we've got the enemy leading with the Cures Robert Smith and Simon, Simon Gallup accept Icon Award at the Ivers so the Cure I think he, he didn't didn't he leave and then maybe he's, he's back now Simon Gallup sounds a bit right I think there sounds was a falling out I remember points. I think around Christmas time he was saying I'm sick of being mistreated in this band and it's over and yada 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 and then he was just appearing on stage with them like weeks afterwards and none, nothing else was said so that's the Classic Ivor novellas yeah um, a full report next week, I guess. But to the Eurovision, um, mm-hmm. big win for Ukraine. Did you see it coming, Dave? 
I mean, far be it from me to cast aspersions on the power of the public vote here, but was this not a bit of a foregone conclusion? Although it did seem like the UK were about to win until that happened, right? Yeah, so I completely forgot what the format was like in terms of the voting. Uh, I sat down just as like the the jury votes were starting to roll in. Um, And it's this amazing thing for people that don't watch it where they spend ages going through the, the jury votes and dishing out that stuff. And you've got like Linda Martin... Um, with her mic kind of cut off, looking a bit interesting, and various other kind of Linda Martin types from around Europe giving out the scores. It takes forever. And then you realise that there's a whole audience vote, like public vote still to come, which is the same amount of points, and it just changes the entire leaderboard. It just steamrollers yeah. it completely, right? It's kind of exciting. Like, it's nonsense, <laughs> but it's great. Like... <laughs> And so, yeah, Ukraine were, they were doing respectably. Um, the UK were kind of running away with it. Um, and I think, yeah, Spain, Sweden were doing pretty good. And then Ukraine got a ridiculous 631 points from the public, <laughs> which I think meant they had to get like an, on average 11 points from every country. <laughs> like, um, I mean... With all due respect, and you know, in, in, not to make light of what's going on in the world, is this not? Is that is that is that all right? Are you like, saying they're bringing bit... the Eurovision into disrepute, Dave? Yes, I am. The sacred Eurovision is this, but is it not a little bit kind of condescending? Like, ah, oh, well done. I think it's kind of you know. nice. No, I mean, there's a war nice, going on. But... <laughs> there is a war going on, but it's very. I don't know. I mean, like, you can't help but feel slightly sorry for every other competitor who never had a chance. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, are the UK going to get that close again? Probably not for a while. That is funny, though, because they've been, they, they've been bombing the barrel for a very long time. Ireland, of course, didn't even make it in. No. Uh, I understand I, I, the I, Spanish entry uh, was, was set Twitter ablaze with, like, quar. That was very racy, wasn't it? I didn't lady see any or something, yeah. yeah. I did course, see the, yeah, yeah. the Ukrainian one. Uh, Kalush Orchestra won it. Um, and it was an interesting kind of folk rap hybrid thing. I enjoyed it. I, I like, I would have given it all the points. Um, there was a guy playing one-handed flute, Dave. So, of course, okay. I give it all the points. Um, yeah, fair enough. And yeah, in the aftermath, um, President Zelensky came out and just said that, you know, obviously when you win Eurovision, you win the right to host it next year. Um, and it seemed like a foregone conclusion that I think that the setup is the UK or France hosted if the um, the winning country can't. Um, but he was quite bullish about saying, you know, next year... Um, Ukraine will host Eurovision for the third time in its history and I believe not for the last time we'll make sure that one day the participants and guests of Eurovision will be hosted in Mariupol uh, free, peaceful and restored uh, Kalush Orchestra said similar they also said they were going back to like fighting the front on that Monday um, Wow which is yeah really puts things in perspective um, and that's the whole it's yeah it's, it's, that is absolutely yeah. it is absolutely wild that the president of a country that is currently being invaded by a fucking uh, horrible regime is Talking about the Eurovision, like it's such I a know. the the weird juxtaposition of this is is like at this stage you just kind of play on with your newsfeed, but you're like that's weird. Yeah, we did, we discussed this. Was it was it the Grammys or the Oscars where he kind of appeared via link up, and we were saying that thing of Grammys, like, I think, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was the Grammys, and we're saying that thing of like it seems kind of crass in context, not what he's saying, but just kind of everything around it. Um, just because you're straight back into light entertainment. But then, of course, I mean, it boosts the Ukrainian cause. It kind of puts pressure on governments to keep supporting them. He's doing his job extremely well, um, mobilizing the kind of, you know, 
forces around the world and the eyes of the world. So I guess that's what he's got to do. And yeah, I guess what he's saying about Ukraine, I mean, it probably is a bit optimistic. I don't know. It's probably somewhere between propaganda and like a pep talk. And hopefully Ukraine will be hosting it next year and hopefully things get resolved quickly. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else you got for us this week, Craig? Anything? I've got a very labyrinthine, <laughs> heavy story. And where do we have a very long album to get to? So I thought this was kind of interesting. We don't need to dwell on it, but um, have you heard about Young Tug, Dave, <laughs> and Gunnar yes, and uh, the lads here and there? But yeah, so we didn't tell, we didn't talk about us. it um, last week. Um, there's been kind of updates, but yeah, it's um, Send Shockway is true, the hip hop world and Atlanta uh, most specifically. So Young Thug, uh, Gunna and over two dozen artists that are signed to Young Thug's uh, um, label roster, uh, Young Stoner Life, have been hit with a 56 count indictment. So essentially they're alleged conspirators in this well-organized criminal organization. The, you know, allegedly it's got links to the Bloods. Um, it's... <laughs> I think they're kind of using like the RICO Act against them, which is just craziness when you consider <laughs> this is a major, major figure in hip hop um, who's, you know, lyrically, I guess, touched on his, you know, street past and used those kind of lyrics and that backstory as many, many artists do. But I wouldn't have had him pegged as someone that was still um, engaged in that activity because where is, there's not enough hours in a day. That's That would be my main argument if I was defending him. Do you have um? Do you have a primer on the RICO Act, which is a sentence I thought I would never ask for anyone who didn't watch The Sopranos and doesn't know what it is? It's basically just um, it was put in place to clamp down on criminal like gang activity in the states. Essentially, is there is there more details we need to fill people in? It's well, no, it's more that like it's usually reserved for like massive organized crime. Yeah, it's right? like I mean, it's that's kind of yeah, it's like federal across state lines, kind of. The, yeah, the scale of this is enormous. It suggests that he is a major, major player. And the thing that stuck out for me is like it's another example of um, lyrics, particularly hip hop lyrics, being used as kind of evidence, as if like you know him kind of bragging about being a bit street in his songs is suddenly like, oh yeah, of course he's running this gang. There's an interesting piece in Rolling Stone, I guess people can go to it, Jeff uh, Ayaza has written this thing and he kind of, uh, he's saying that like he's he's dealt with this label, the artists, um, Young Tug seems like someone that was actually lifting young black men out of poverty and out of dangerous lives and was quite of an inspirational figure um, and a good role model. That That's his experience as a journalist. Um, we don't know. It's up in the air. It seems kind of ridiculous. A lot of kind of hip hop figures have come out like some Metro Boom and just saying um, label is not a criminal gang whatsoever or just music makers. What the hell is going on? And um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, and I, I fucked up one if indeed there is zero actual substance to it. I mean, it just feels like racial profiling and a bizarrely high profile. Like, I mean, like surely this was going to make the headlines it was going to make and articles like this one were going to come out. So, I mean, it is slightly baffling in a way. But um, we'll move from that story, Craig, to something um, also quite murky. <laughs> the state of Kasabian in a post-Tom Mahan world. Yeah, Sur Serge is back. Serge Bazorno uh, has taken the reins uh, of Kasabian. He is lead vocalist now. Of course, he always wrote the songs. He was always the musical genius, if you will, Dave. The, the man is responsible for blowing the roof off stadiums across. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Kasabian he good enough roof. Well, as, a, as a singer? Or? Yeah. 
I mean, have you not heard the um, the new single release? No, you haven't been no, listening to no, Scripture no. with a V and Alligator with a Y. I think <laughs> if you go and listen to them, you'll be like, "Yes, he is good enough." Because this is these are just Kasabian songs with a man singing them. I, I've always maintained that he had a better voice than Tom because Tom okay. was very much the like Bez with a microphone. Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of thing of like he's rallying the troops. He's the town crier. Yeah, I should search was more melodic. Is he good enough? Didn't come from a place of, oh, you know, we're used to this wonderful Mercury-esque baritone savant at the fucking mic, you know? Yeah. I guess it is paper-thin indie music. Um, well, I think that's a bit harsh in Kasabian. Um, if some done oh, some yeah, you've got a soft spot, don't you? I do. West Rider, Pauper, Lunatic Asylum. I think that's their second, third record is tremendous. I think Serge is a really, really interesting musician. Um, kind of bar me in some of the... Like, if you actually listen to her album... If you actually listen to her albums, David... <laughs> <laughs> Workman's Craig. I think they were a bit more interesting than um, maybe the audience would suggest. But it's it's kind of heartening to see them um, carry on after, yeah, if people don't know, um, Tom Meehan was kicked out of the group after he was convicted um, a couple of years ago of assaulting his wife. They subsequently got married. Uh, wish her well. Um, just an awful kind of situation. He seemed to have substance problems. And Serge has been talking to The Guardian. He said it felt like leaving home and coming back and seeing it burnt down, walking around the ashes, seeing old pictures and artifacts and picking things up and sifting through the destruction. It was an intense time. Um, he goes on to say that like he's kind of amazed how a certain section of the fan base are kind of aggrieved by the band's decision to sack Tom, um, even though it seems like the most sensible thing in the world. Quote here is, it always amazes me how strong people's opinions are when they don't know anything about the actual truth. There's way more to it. Who in the right mind would sack a front man if there wasn't cause? Over the years, there have been some tough moments. I don't want to go into them uh, because I feel like that's the band's business. But yeah, elsewhere in the interview, it just seems like he'd been having issues for a long time, just personally. They were trying to help him. Uh, he says, you know, all we ever wanted was for him to be happy. And then, of course, the incident happened and that was beyond the pale, uh, as it would be. So he's kind of just like, he wishes him well and says he's always there for him as like an old friend. But they're they're moving on, which is a nice thing. It's a good read. Check it out. It's kind of heartening. He seems like a really good dude. Like, I interviewed him a few, few years ago and, yeah, I wish him well. And I love the fact that it was an interview at his gaff, right? Not just at his gaff, though. Um, <laughs> the line here is the journalist is, like, led down the side of his house along the garden past his kids' climbing frames and through a gap in the hedge to this jet black two-story building. Um, and there's a Japanese-style lightbox sign sticking out from the side that tells us where we are. The surgery of his Warner home studio. <laughs> <laughs> Which is tremendous work. <laughs> oh, man. So good, isn't Serge it? Serge Pizzorno. I was supposed to interview him um, a, a couple of years ago and it just fell through and I was gutted. He's great. It's so long new. Yeah. Quote machine, like, you know. Oh, he's brilliant. When I interviewed him, it was the day that Ferguson announced he was leaving Man United. <laughs> and I'd literally just been caught unawares by the news. <laughs> I was like, on the phone with him. And like, he's such a, like, a nice fella. He's like, Sarah, how are things are you, man? And I was like, oh, not good, dude. <laughs> I'm a United fan. And he was like, oh, oh, that's hard, man. That's harsh. <laughs> then he's, he's like a big Leicester fan. And he was going, yeah. like, I'm sure you'll be all right. You'll be fine. You know, United will be grand. So don't worry about it. Meanwhile, Leicester have since won the league. Man United have won zero leagues. <laughs> but he was very comforting. So yeah, good dude. Yeah. Um, now this is football, of course, you know, infamous. You can't read an article about him without the whole, you know, oh, try yeah. out for Leeds, was it? 
I think it might was it not Leicester? Maybe it was Leeds. Maybe yeah. it was Leicester. And it was didn't both, he do a know. few of those like um celebrity charity, charity. games that he always yeah, and like, he scored, he scored like a screamer. Yeah, yeah, he scored a screamer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's got the chops. He does know? have the chops. Um <laughs> another man who has the vocal chops is oh, here we go. Keith Duffy. <laughs> So Craig, These links Craig, are harder Craig, than you make them look. <laughs> Craig, was, oh, like you're, you're just as good as me. Craig, uh, Craig was doing news this week, and uh, he was like, "I'll take point on news. You can sit back." And I was like, "Cheers, man!" But I did message you on, I think it was Tuesday morning, and I was like, "Please include this." And you're yeah. like, "I already have one hundred percent." Yeah, we need to talk about boys' life mm-hmm. and um, their relationship with <laughs> everyone knows who they are. You kidding me? It's Keith Tuffy. It's Brian McFadden. It's Boys Life. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Keith has been bemoaning the fact that um, basically his home country hates him, hates Boys Life. These are kind of his words. Um, he said that him and Brian no longer do interviews with the Irish media anymore at all because they're always writing negative things about the duo. He was speaking at the opening of celebrity fitness trainer Paul Burns' new gym in Dublin's Paris Court Centre because of course he was. <laughs> I think I got an invite to that, seriously. I got an invite for, to some... I did, I got an invite Should've to some gone. gym opening. And I was like, I can't make it, sorry. Had I known... Oh, man. The, the stars of Boys Life of here. Sorry, can I just hijack this for one second? There's a quote here, and just the start, the opening line, he goes, we just wanted a peaceful life. <laughs> like he's like he's Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Are you joking? <laughs> what the fuck? We love what we do. We're very successful in the UK. They champion us over there, and they bring out do the they? best of us. <laughs> As if they're like creating masterpieces. Aren't they just touring the old the old hits? Yeah. Oh God. But he goes on. I'm doing like some old crooning standards yeah. as well, I think. He goes on to say, you come over here and you come over here and whether it be radio DJs or certain journalists, they write derogatory terms. They're just negative. Boys Home was the same when we came back together in 2008. Never worked here again. It was always the UK, Australia, Middle East, Europe. Brian and I are just back from Cape Town. We're on our way to Indonesia now, to Bali, and then we're off to Vietnam and Cambodia. Then we're off to Bahrain, Dubai. Oh yeah, taking that dollar. And Abu Dhabi, but we do nothing in Dublin. It really is just this is just, like This is an unbelievable, like, uh, look at my amazing travel itinerary. Yeah, he says, it's just begrudging. People don't listen and they insult. People assume it's going to be shite because they don't like us from the days of the 90s. By the way, is that not just the biggest admission that he's saying, like, our work in the 90s was shite? Adam, jump in here. Yeah, I have to because I, right, so Keith Duffy is the face of Tireland, a tire company. Um, <laughs> I don't know know if you knew this, but they're fucking shite as well. They like they ruined they ruined my car. Like, and I'm single handedly holding Keith Duffy accountable. Hold on a minute now till I find it. But if you ring up, they ruined my car. They ruined my car. But if you ring up Tireland, the phone number, who's the fucking recorded voice on the line? Keith Keith Duffy. (laughs) It's Keith Duffy. Is he singing? Does he do a jingle, or is he just? No, it's a bit more of a bit more of a how you buddies kind of thing. Um. What, is he like the receptionist? Can we um, can we ring up the number right now? Would it go to voice now? Uh, it... I could probably arrange that. Give me one second. Oh, amazing. Cool, cool, yeah. I, I need to hear this. This is real-time investigative journalism that you're hearing right now. Yeah. So. Well, he sorts that out. Um, Keith does go on to say, I rarely socialise in Dublin because when I go out, you don't know if someone is going to buy you a pint or give you a dig, which in fairness okay, is a serious on. thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, but like, is it that bad? And also, like, this is very like, like he's very much like, oh, the nineties. Like, you know, it's like you were wildly successful in the nineties. Huge. As was Brian McFadden. We only did our award show moments thing recently, in which my number one was that MTV Awards where Boys and were basically the star attraction. And Keith Duffy, remember Keith Duffy? And he was like, he was like, look at us now. Yeah. Look at us now. And it's like really, like it doesn't sound like it was that bad. It okay. Like you're on top of the world. <clears throat> oh, I, have every, I, I have it ready here. I'm gonna ring. Um, I, okay. I don't. I'm gonna put it on speaker. I don't know how well. This what is. if someone answers though? No, like, no, in, no. It's, like, they're close. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Hang well, on. Keith Duffy answers. <laughs> oh yeah, boys. Hello. How you doing? It's Keith Duffy here. Thank you for calling. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are closed right now. But if you leave as much information and your phone number, we will get back to you tomorrow. I'm gonna sort you out. Thanks for calling Thailand. Have a great day. Now, Bye. there you go, Thailand. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's your man off Coronation Street. <laughs> and one episode of Love Hate where he played some guy who worked in a gym or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, is Key Duffy going to be a player in the... No, he's not. He's just in a gym. Yeah, that's great. He's just a bloke. That's yeah, it. Jesus. Um, I don't dislike this man at all, by the way. He did no. an interview with Hot Press years ago and it was very, like, you know, classic Hot Press, like, let's talk about sex and drugs and rock and roll. And it was like, he just seems like a normal, inter- like like interesting-ish guy, but he does have this in him, though. He does have this in him. And to be honest with you, I blame Brian McFadden. I was going to say, clearly a bad influence. Um, his big mistake was getting in league with Brian McFadden, who the people of Ireland have no time for. The people, <laughs> the people of Westlife have no time for. And um, yeah, no, I would have said uh, Keith Tuffy and Boyzone kind of occupy a fond place in the hearts of many people in Ireland. I, yeah, I wouldn't have thought there was any issue. I've seen them pop up a few times just in like, there'll be an occasional, I think once or twice was suggested like an interview on, um, not Good Morning Britain, but what's the Philip Schofield one? This morning, is that this morning? This morning? Yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. they crop up on like morning TV and I'm just like, what are these two like? Like, do they actually have chemistry or, and you click in and it's just like the Irish lads having a joke yeah. and it gets Cheeky very chaps. cringy very quick. Like they're not actually that lovable or the patter isn't great. Do you know what I mean? You're no. expecting a better level of patter. And Keith I Duffy is Brian. carrying this act on yes, his back. And just 100%. to be to be clear, like I say, pro Keith Duffy podcast here, not pro Brian McFadden podcast. So to continue on with Keith's quotes, which are very good. Yes. He said, my kids are all grown up now. My daughter is 22. Jay is 26. They don't want to be reading shit about their old man in the paper. They don't want to hear DJ slagging me off. So it's just easier for us. Fair enough. Uh, but he said his home will always be Dublin. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, you're from where you're from. Uh, he said he praised the loyal fan base that supports to travel to the UK to see Boys Life perform. He said that the new album, which is called Old School, has been a huge success in Ireland. Has it? Without doing any promo tour. Reaching a spot on the top of the iTunes chart. It actually went down well here, says Keith. The first couple of days, it was in the first top ten. First couple of days. <laughs> Which was bizarre, because we did no promo here. We have a loyal fan base in Ireland who we care about. But he said they won't put on a show in Ireland anytime soon. By the way, <laughs> that's very much like, quick, take a screenshot. Take a, It's on the chart, take a screenshot. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. My home will always be Ireland. Dublin, I love it. I'm very passionate about Irish people in Ireland. I think we have a fantastic hospitality base, but we're horrible to our own. We're horrible to ourselves. Oh my God. He then goes a, into... Um, <laughs> The murky past. Always with the late, late. Back in 1993, Gayburn slagged us off the bit and the whole they've nine never, yards. They've never gotten over it. Now, in fairness, I did interview Ron Keaton a couple of years ago and one of the first things I asked him was, so that late, late performance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
he said um, he talks about like, all the shows they've done. They're hard workers. You know, I will say this, right? Hold on, I sorry, like before, Duffy. yeah, I was going to say, this was at the opening of his gym. <laughs> was he giving a speech? Was he just settling scores? Like, what? I assume some journal collared him and was like, I've got the scoop of the year. And I, like, because, yeah, there's a lot of quotes here. Uh, it was the mirror, was it? It was a mirror. Half a glass um, of complimentary wine in him, yeah. <laughs> We did 82 shows sold out in the UK. We did two shows in Dublin and they only sold 50% and they're on sale for six months. It's my boy's life. We sold, it. we sold it in four hours in the UK. Why would you come back to that? Then you get a radio DJ of a Dublin City radio station who didn't like Boyzone, thought our music was shite, hasn't listened to anything that we've done, but yet comments on it. Because of course, Boys Life is yeah. notoriously a wildly different musical direction yeah. than It's what like came George before. Michael leaving Wham, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, but sorry, again, Pro Key Duffy Podcast, but... He kind of loses me here at the very end. What a weird way to end this article when he goes, but he praised Mario Rosenstock <laughs> as being one of the only people he admires in the industry. Quote, it's not Mario Rosenstock. I love what Mario does. What Mario does is clever. It's intelligent and it's funny. The other guys, it's just low chief comedy with a knife in the back. Outstanding. Jesus. Just fucking unbelievable. Is what he, a man. May, is there some backstory to that? Is he, is he taking, because my immediate thought is like, is he taking a dig at like Oliver Callan? Do you know what I mean? Is he like, is that a message to someone that isn't Mario Rosenstock? (laughs) We need to investigate this. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Like this has just been, uh, I think this could be my favourite episode of No Encore ever, purely because (laughs) of this too. And I came in very low energy and I've been kind of stumbling all over my words, but maybe, maybe now, uh, maybe now I'm perked up, which is a good time to perk up though, because we're going from the ridiculous to the sublime, question mark. It is time for our album review. Craig, why don't you lead us in? Because you've kind of curated this in terms of the audio cuts and also you know I mean like it's it's a big moment and I'm a bit nervous to be honest with you I'm not nervous Dave it's Kendrick Lamar it's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers it's his fifth studio album people are saying I think it might be a seven but we don't need to get into that there's plenty to get into um, let's take a little clip from the album it's the new single it's N95 and then we'll get into it Fabricate dreams and a microwave memes it's a real world outside take off your idols take off the runway take off the Cairo take off the Sandro pay five days day take off for the Take off the fuffler, take off perception, take off the cop with the iPad. Take off the allure, take off the unsure, take off decisions I had. Take off the fake deep, take off the fake woke, take off the I'm broke, I care. Take off the gossip, take off the new logic, they're the fumble with Take off the should know, take off the doje, take off the broken bag. Take all that designer bullshit off and what do you have? Kendrick in his bag. Um, do you want a little primer, Dave? Get, ease us in. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, 34 years old, from Compton, Los Angeles. <laughs> feels It's one of those ones where it feels a bit ridiculous talking about him because he is this hip-hop fountainhead, really. Um, in the conversation, um, as the GOAT, maybe the current GOAT. It's always him and Drake that people seem to talk about. And Drake has the commercial thing. Um, I don't think he has much else. We won't get into that. But yeah, in terms of critical darlings... Kendrick is leagues above other people at the moment. Um, Marked out for greatness, I would say, with Good Kid, Mad City, which was 2012, uh, which he had kind of billed as a short film. 
It was an album that went to number two in the US. It was made a huge amount of end of year lists and he had kind of arrived. Uh, he'd given a good account of himself as well in Section 80, which is a, is a record that apparently doesn't count. Um, it was kind of his first release for Top Dog. This is his final release, apparently, for Top Dog Entertainment. And in between, we've had... What a lot of people would see is like an unimpeachable, uh, like immaculate run of records. The Pimple Butterfly might have been the landmark moment, I guess, for him. It was kind of jazzy. It was ambitious. It was like era defining in 2015. Um, it's probably one we've talked about before in this show. I, I respect it more than I listen, go back and listen to it. Um, but it was huge. It just it felt like it's one of those all-time kind of classics. Damn was more my vibe, which followed more direct. Uh, his eye and pen were still very kind of sharp. And it was him expanding his own mythology, I guess, even as like this darkness seeped in around that time. Um, it was quite toxic in its way, but some really, really good stuff on it. It was him embracing the hype a little bit, but gobbling up his critics. And yeah, in terms of his importance and his place in the culture and the mainstream and the conversation, I mean, that kind of opening where we go from blood into that clip of like Fox News berating uh, his lyrics in All Right um, and him just ripping them apart then in DNA, it just felt like a kind of, here's our hero, here's our champion, here's, you know, the guy on the side of good. So yeah, embedded in culture, um, a totem of kind of all that is right um, and what we, you know, we deserve um, from hip hop. It was, yeah, it's a kind of an album with its back arch in a lot of ways. I went back to it this week as well, just to kind of mix things up. And um, it's interesting in comparison to this one, but we'll get into it. His kind of shadow's been growing longer and longer in the time he's been away since then. Relatively silent um, for him. Um, he did curate the Black Panther soundtrack. He felt like the only person that could really do that. It was just such a fitting thing, this kind of, you know, Black America's first uh, superhero kind of box office mega smash, except for Blade, I suppose. But um, yeah, he, he was just, for what it represented in terms of empowerment, he was right there in the midst of it. And that was a great piece of work. And his absence just in the kind of everything that's been happening in the world over the last couple of years has been uh, powerful, I think. Like he's this looming presence. Even other rappers just seem to be always trying to get a handle on what he would think of the moves they're making. Um and yeah, some of the quotes around him are just like LeBron James uh, talking about him, um, where he's saying, I can literally listen to his music and become a kid growing up with all the struggles in the inner city, but at the same time, learn all the lessons of taught that we use as men today. Uh, I love everything about his music. Pharrell said he's the Bob Dylan, the Miles Davis of our time, but he's his own thing. His ability to entertain while educating without ever being preachy is amazing. And yeah, we'll probably get into the analysis of this record. It is kind of pure Dylan in terms of subtexts and how you can get into bars and lyrics and all that kind of stuff. But meanwhile, he's apparently been off his phone, um, adding a lot to his kind of mythical status, I guess. He put out, he popped up at the Super Bowl, um, but a bit before that, he put out a statement um, about his final TDE release. And in fairness, like last week we did Arcade Fire, and I was gently ribbing Wynn Butler's lofty pronouncements ahead of the album release. 
And I think if Wynne came out with this, I don't know if you'd get away with it, but Kendrick put out a thing that said, I spend most of my days with fleeting thoughts, writing, listening and collecting old beach cruisers. The morning rides keep me on a hill of silence. I go months without a phone. Love, loss and grief have disturbed my comfort zone, but the glimmers of God speak through my music and family. While the world around me evolves, I reflect on what matters most, the life in which my um, words will land next. As I produce my final TDE album, I feel joy to have been a part of such a cultural imprint after 17 years the struggles of success and most importantly the brotherhood may the most high continue to use top dog as a vessel for candid creators as I continue to pursue my life's calling there's beauty in completion and always fate in the unknown thank you for keeping me in your thoughts I pray for you all see you soon signed Oklahoma which is another kind of cryptic thing to feed into the overall patchwork of this record Record which was preceded by uh, The Heart Part 5, which isn't on the album, but was a um, really captivating thing, particularly with a striking video. And the album has arrived. And as we were saying earlier, <laughs> less than 24 hours in, the reviews were arriving. And across the board, acclaim. Um, I, I, like, I, I had yet to have a proper, proper listen. I was like, is this hip hop's be here now? Or <laughs> like right out of the gates. It's like <laughs> full, full marks. Um, I'm still, my take on it is kind of starting to settle. There's still kind of shifting currents and I'm still working through it. I think we'll hopefully both get a, a fair bit out of this uh, back and forth, as I think we, we often do. But it's a double album. There's a lot in it. It's maybe his most personal album, I think. Um there's a lot of kind of admissions. There's a lot of interesting features. Um, there's a narration from his partner, Whitney Al- Alford. Eckhart Tolle <laughs> pops up. He seems to be maybe his therapist. Um, certainly in terms of the narrative of this, he is. Bet Gibbons um, with a devastating turn from Portishead. You've Kodak Black, Kodak Black, which is um, an interesting inclusion as well. Another point of controversy we're going to get to. And... I want to turn it over to you because, yeah, he kind of opens the album with it's been 1,855 days I've been going through something. Dave, you've had seven days. <laughs> <laughs> Have you unpacked it? Have you figured out its meaning? Is it a masterpiece? <coughs> What's your experience being? Um Jesus, I haven't fully unpacked it because, again, caveat, caveat, caveat at this stage with regards to the fact that um, I'm very uncomfortable putting a score on this album in general, and I probably would be months down the line, a Kendrick album is not like other albums. It is dense as fuck. It is a novel. And, you know, we'll get into the critical thing pretty quickly, I would say, but it is uh, increasingly damning, I think, when critics go to bat for this record so fast because you can't possibly. You just can't. Like, you just can't. I appreciate that, you know, you can go on a radio show and say, here's where I'm at at this point, having listened to it for X Men Errors today, which I will be doing with the Harry Styles album, Errors from this podcast dropping. However, I would like to think that the Harry Styles album will be a little bit more palatable in terms of unpacking it in a short space of time. That said, it has to be massive asterisks next to anything. Um, a few things. You said something there at one stage. I think you're quoting Pharrell. That Kendrick does this and does that, but is never preachy. I think he's preachy on this album, and I think it's to his detriment. Um, I think on this album he drops the ball quite a bit for maybe arguably the first time ever, in a way. However, <clears throat> should always be tempered by saying that even stuff on this that doesn't work for me, and there is a lot of stuff that doesn't work for me, um, he still streets ahead of so many other people in across genres. This is a once-in-a-generational artist. He is incredible. His ability uh-huh. 
is unbelievable. Um, I've always struggled a bit with Kendrick because, and I am, it's funny because, you know, he's always using that line, I could see he was conflicted. I am conflicted about this album a lot in a lot of different ways. And it goes beyond the obvious headlines, and there are songs here and there are appearances here that are, quite rightly, um, getting censured in some corners and being strangely ignored in others. Um, yeah. But it's beyond that to me. I think that this is a bit of a bloated mess of an album. Maybe it's meant to be. Maybe it's his Donda. Maybe it's his The Life of Pablo. Maybe it's just a Kendrick album that does what he's doing with this album, and that's totally fine. It is totally fine, by the way. He could release. He could have released five tracks, and it's he owes us fucking nothing. Uh, he's put out an incredible body of work so far. But much like you know, you say like to Pimp Butterfly, an album I admire rather than enjoy. I I was cooler on Damn than I think you and Cullum at the time. It certainly yeah. elevated itself over time in a short period of time. I think it is a great record. Um, I I think Kendrick is sensational but i don't necessarily go to him as often as i would um a kanye a pusha t whoever and i should note as well i was kind of slightly trolling him but i do kind of believe it i sent out a message i think it was on sunday maybe possibly and i wrote push album greater than sign kendrick album (laughs) (laughs) very different album maybe it's completely ridiculous to compare them at all but i know that i enjoy it more um i'd like to point out as well just before you move on (laughs) Took, he ignored me for yeah for two days. Left you on red. Fucking Adam didn't speak to me for two days, and that's fair enough. You know, this is an album that is provoking reactions, and maybe that's what it's supposed to do. Um, my own train of thought is already derailed because even thinking about it, even coming into this this review, I was like, "How? Where am I going to start? And how am I going to possibly?" I've given it about I think eight focused listens over the course of the week in which I've tried to shut the world out and just focus on this album, which is not easy to do with any album, especially a seventy three minute. 18-track double record in which he is presenting two sides of a coin and many pieces of a whole. And it's like, you know, he's very much like, here's me in therapy, here's what I learned in therapy. And I guess the crux of it is, this is him standing up and saying, I'm not your savior, savior which he literally says. Yeah. Um, and saying, like, you know, heavy lies the crown, which he says, and the crown that he himself chose. He's, he's wearing a crown of thorns on the cover of the album. It's about infidelity. It's about uh, celebrity. It's about cancel culture and what he thinks of that. Um, there's just, I think it's extremely messy. There are moments in which it's like, you surrender to it completely and you're like, that's an exceptional piece of work. That's an exceptional beat. The production is fucking next level. It's so ornate and gorgeous and gilded and you would expect that. But it is, it, it can stop you in your tracks. This is an album to try and tune out the world, like I say, which is not easy to do. But the thing that I kept coming back to over the course of the week, and it really took me until like Listen 4 on or Listen 5 on like Sunday afternoon when I was doing nothing else apart from focusing entirely on this record that I finally started to get somewhere with it. But then that was kind of undone by Listen 6. Then I was kind of back by Listen 7. I said this to Dahi during the week, and I never thought I would say this about a Kendrick Lamar album, and I recognised that I could be completely wrong here, but I can't help but feel... I don't think this is very interesting. I just don't. I don't think where he goes on this record is very interesting. I don't think his problems are very interesting. I I think a lot of it is very surface level. And I think it's sloppy in places. It's brilliant in other places. It's very hard to unpack, but it's not a masterpiece. I'll tell you that much. It isn't. It just isn't. Um, The reviews came out quickly and they were ridiculous. Uh, Pitchfork finally gave it a 7.6, I think on like Monday morning, possibly. 
And by that point, I was like, well, look, it's closer to that than it is to a 10, but that's getting into score realms. Look, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm still figuring it out, but what I am figuring out with it is I don't think I'll be spending too much time with this. I don't think that there are songs here that really kind of stand out. I would be very fascinated to learn if you yourself have like done a, are doing a Craig chop on this and cutting this down. Is this an album that warrants that? Is it not? Is that the height of disrespect? Maybe. Um... His ability is still there, but I think his choices are just all over the map, really. Uh, I know you've got different audio queued up, so I don't want to talk for too long. Maybe it's time to hear another blast of something before we yeah. pivot this conversation a bit. Because it's to your point of doing the usual chop thing that I do when I'm invested in a record, but have issues with it. And I think that's that's a true statement of my relationship with this record at the moment. I don't think I actually could, um, because I think as I delve into the tracks and pick at the treads and kind of see... Um, the kind of messy parts, if they coalesce and if something else is going on, I think it does kind of hang together and reflect itself quite well. I think there is bloat. I think there is repetition. I think there's more kind of vanilla production moments. I think it could be cut down slightly. Um, but as a kind of true line and as an overall piece of work, it's sitting right for me at the moment. I guess let's start with the at the beginning, uh, the story with him and him kind of going through this therapy session, essentially. And so you've got these kind of interjections from his partner who's um, kind of just calling on him to speak the truth and actually get to the heart of his problems. And then you've got Eckhart Tolle um, popping up here and there, just talking about the power of the moment. Um, You've also got this very cheesy tap dancing thing that pops up at times where it's like, don't tap dance around the issue. Uh, Don't step around the issues, get to the heart of it. Um, This is the opening track, United in Grief. And I think right out of the gate, he is confrontational. He is kind of damn mode. A lot of these early tracks are him, you know, when you, you said they're touching on cancel culture, being quite opinionated, um, getting kind of a lot of things off his chest. And then I think having his cake and eating it too, because the back end of the record is him going, look, I might be wrong about those things. And actually, I've grown a lot. And that was me being angry. Um, here's United in Grief to kind of kick things off. You know the family dynamics on repeat. The insecurities like down on PC. I bought a 223, nobody peace treat. You won't do do me, I smell TNT. Dave got him a Porsche, so I got me a Porsche. Paid lottery for it, I ain't wanted it Porsches. Poverty was the case, but the money wiping the tears away. I agree different. Yeah, that's where we're at. And I think you said earlier, he comes across preachy in places on this. And I think that case can be made on disc one, but I think it's intentional. And it's him at a remove going, this is that Kendrick character. And this is kind of what a lot of people expect me to be. And I'm not, I'm still debating in my head whether, you know, that actually quite works. He shifts between voices so much in this and does it, as you rightly point out, just masterfully. Like in terms of his ability on the mic, um, it's insanity. And he portrays these different kind of perspectives. And it's hard. It's very slippery. It reminds me a lot of Dylan. There's a lot of masks going on to get to the truth of kind of something going on. But I did find actually compared to a lot of his other records that he usually has this inbuilt swagger, <laughs> like he's kind of in the right. With this one, I felt like even on those kind of tracks, his head is more kind of bowed. It's more of a deep breath. He's kind of wrestling with grief a bit more. 
I kind of felt he came down to earth with this one. Like I did feel like he was more earthbound. Uh, it's a very confessional record. Like he is admitting to infidelity. Uh, he is admitting to potential kind of racism as well mixed up with this. Um, I, I take your point of being like, I don't know if I'm interested in his problems of being a successful man who felt that he had to fill some gap by kind of sleeping around and oh, he's annoyed by maybe cancel culture. But I think it touches on so much. It touches on sexism. It touches on domestic violence. It touches on transphobia, um, sexual kind of violence throughout his community, wider societal issues. And I did think this wasn't a kind of woe is me, I'm a rich man. This was a woe is me, I'm human kind of record. I think he kind of pulls it off, but it takes a lot of listens. Sonically, I think it's great. Um, I felt like a kind of career summation. Um there wasn't really there wasn't a huge true line in terms of the production and the sound um like he he mixes it up quite a lot and i think he does a good job of marrying the music to the kind of often shifting um emotional places and scenes he goes to but stepping away from it it's kind of like nothing really does sound like this so it's of a piece in that regard um i would say overall it's i'm not sure if it's a masterpiece i do, i'm not quite sure but i will say it's good enough that it made me think slightly less of damn, <laughs> which is a strange position maybe, but going back to that, I, I was kind of thinking, yeah, that's an album bookended by brilliance and great storytelling, um, where he seems very open and honest, but it didn't have the messiness of this, and I don't know if it was true honesty, and I'm thinking back to a lot of his kind of um, more confessional stuff in the past, it leans on hip-hop kind of archetypes and cliches and I think a lot of disc one of this does that where we have like a track like Father Time which is like um, Sampha is brilliant on us it's a brilliant piano line I think it's musically extremely strong it's a great track and he's talking about daddy issues and I was kind of like yeah okay he's still very you know um, forthright in his vocal and like we've heard this story kind of before a lot of the other songs are about like you know pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and there's aspects of that. We Cry Together is him doing kind of maybe an Eminem thing, but actually following through by saying this is toxic and this isn't a relationship um, you should be a part of. It's a very powerful performance um, on both sides from that. It's probably not a track you'd go back and listen to. Disc 2, I think, changes things. Like when he gets into something like Anti-Diaries, or Mother I Sober, which I think is one of his best works, and then the conclusion with Mirror, I think he's touching on themes and subjects that this level of hip-hop artist hasn't done um, as well before, or hasn't even gone near. I think he's still retained his ability to startle at times. And the more I keep listening to it, the more I see how the discs mirror each other, whether it be the interludes of like a rich, which is um, Kodak Black coming in, and giving some of his story. And I think Kendrick's using him as a cautionary tale, although it's, for my liking, a little too subtle, and I think there's a lot of problems around that. But then when you get to disc two, um, you've got the saviour interlude, and it's more of a his cousin Keem thing. Um, and you've got this kind of thing of like... I don't know, the, the juxtaposition of rich interlude, which is Kodak Black, and him being portrayed as this almost villainous creation of the society's in and then rich spirit being Kendrick being like um, I'm kind of fasting I'm above it all I can kind of you know set the agenda morally because I'm this perfect artist and 
that's laden with kind of a lot of irony, I think. And then by Saviour, which is the reflection of that on discs too, he's kind of saying, I am not that person. I can't be that person to you. It's it's a tough one. I think I think the process he's kind of trying to go through with the therapy thing means that you get a lot of stuff that grates initially. Does that make sense? Like I think, and maybe you'll speak to it a bit more, like with that point I made about having his cake and eating it too, where there's songs here where you can kind of be like, well, what does he mean by that? He's being very contradictory there. This is more of just fortright preachy Kendrick. Is that kind of negated by him returning and referencing that on kind of more considered uh, evolved tracks in the second half or do you think that's a cop out whoa um, <laughs> fuck this is heavy <laughs> let me just take a breath here um, <clears throat> I mean well I want to go back to something I said because I mean like you know I don't want to be so dismissive that I'm in any way lording it over anyone to say don't do this because it's not the case I think this is the album that he needed to make for sure and I think yeah I think you make very good points about the whole therapeutic process and I mean, like, it's funny because you're saying, like, you know, you think he's grounded, you think he's down to earth. Um, I think he's furious. I think he's really pissed off and he's like, fuck you. This is what I'm going to say and I'm going to say it and you're going to listen to it because I have your attention. I have the world's attention for at least a few hours on a Friday, probably a bit more beyond that. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say and fair fucking play to him. Not every artist gets to do that. He can do whatever you want, call his own shot. And he's earned it, for sure. And even if I've got problems with this record, again, who cares what I think, you know? Apart from people listening to the show, thanks for listening to the show. Um, essentially, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash no encore. Sorry, Dave, continue. <laughs> it's messy as hell by design, but I just don't know if that coalesces to a quote-unquote enjoyable listen. And again, I find myself being like, well, so what, Dave? That's fine. It's art. Let it be what it is. Um and we, you know, he, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting when a Kendrick Lamar releases his first album in five years. We all want to be part of it. We all want to be part of the conversation. And then, you know, I'm all for art, you know, not like wrong footing. And I didn't want damn too, you know, I mean, like I want, I don't know what I wanted because I didn't want the heart part five on this album because I wasn't mad about it. And then I was kind of like, oh, well, that's really enjoyable now. And like, there's no real, maybe there's no place for it on here. Um, but I was kind of like, wouldn't mind the odd, wouldn't mind the odd banger here. But again, I recognise that I'm being, I'm being selfish and I'm being demanding and I'm being greedy. And we shouldn't turn artists into jukeboxes. That is a problem, and we shouldn't do that. Maybe at a gig, but even then, not fair. Also, certainly not when it comes to the records that they make, and certainly not when they've given so much of themselves as a voice to people as he has and continues to do. That said, I do think that there are missteps here, and I do think that I don't know if it's um, clever you know, commentary to put Kodak Black on here, who I will say, by the way, even beyond his reprehensible crimes, I think he's just a weak rapper. I don't like his voice. I don't think he adds too much to this. And it's a bit kind of clever, clever to be like, I'm bringing this guy out. Whereas, you know, Kanye West doing the Marlon Manson, DaBaby yeah. and Chris Brown thing, um, which of course led to the UK Independent awarding it no stars. Zero stars, they, they couldn't in good conscience, yeah. Yeah, but they gave they gave this five stars and didn't mention Kodak Black once. Is that because yeah. he's not as high profile? Probably. Uh, or is that because Kendrick Lamar is, in our eyes, an angel and he has, you know, I share Kendrick's values. I'm also eloquent. I'm also woke. But Kendrick on this album is kind of telling you, well, maybe I'm not so eloquent and maybe I'm not so woke because he says fucked up stuff on this record. Yeah, I, th- I think once. that's an important thing to do. And a lot of what he was yes, saying was kind of, I was but, wrestling with and grating with. And then at a remove, I was like, well, I keep thinking about it and I keep going back to it. Isn't this what art should be doing? 
Yeah, you know? no, that's fair. And I think ultimately him pushing the listener away is a, is quote is a good thing, especially when and we'll get into the critical thing here for just a second because a theme on this record is like the people have put him on this insane pedestal that he yeah. do, he can't live up to, doesn't want to live up to, and shouldn't have to live up to. And the fact that he's he's all but saying to you you're going to give this album 10 out of 10 after two hours of listening to it. And that's exactly what fucking happened. You, Craig has said twice now that within 24 hours, it was much less, my friend. It was like, yeah, this, it was album came out, this album came out. Uh, I was still awake at two in the morning or so on like Thursday into Friday because I wasn't working until the afternoon. And it wasn't out yet on this side of the world. So, you know, in, in Europe. So I believe it surfaced at 5 a.m., which means that when the likes of Alexis Petratus and The Guardian, his five-star review goes live before four o'clock in the afternoon, um, I'm I'm sorry, but like it's it's a problem because and, and it was across the board. There was a screenshot doing the rounds, which had like a list of five-star reviews, ten out of tens, and there was about like ten of them. And I saw someone tweeted out, and they were like, "Oh, I I don't know if I trust these reviews," and I genuinely thought it was a joke. I genuinely yeah. thought someone's making the obvious gag here about rush review culture. They probably just screenshotted any other, you know, perfectly reviewed record, perhaps even his last one. But no. And that was at like seven o'clock on Friday. And these reviews have been up all day or have been up a few hours. And look, I get it. And in fairness, if I was in the position, as I said this before, if I was the Guardian's chief music critic and they were like, we need you to write a review, am I going to say no? But I'd like to think that maybe. There could be a way to frame this. Stereo gum have a good way of doing this. It's called premature evaluation. Yeah, I was going to say. However, even that was kind of tricky because, like, the guy who wrote it started off protesting way too much. Now, in fairness, I'm doing the same thing, so I'm a hypocrite. But, like, he was saying, this shouldn't exist. This review shouldn't be a thing, blah, blah, blah. And it would have been cooler if he just ended it there, if that was the end of the thing. But instead, he gets into this big thing. And in fairness, critics want to engage. We're doing it right now. Um, Maybe we would have felt tempted to do it on the day itself if we had access to recording equipment and free time. I don't know. I'm not begrudging people who, who engage with art and try and critics are trying, but I just think that this practice of acclaiming an album as perfect hours after it comes out when it's so fucking dense and there's so much to it and it's this long and we're still unpacking it now and I'm still not even sure if I'm doing a good review here and I'm probably not. I think that doing this devalues art. It devalues criticism. It devalues the artist and it makes... A problem, especially when a Kendrick Lamar is basically saying to you, don't do this. Yeah. I don't want this. And that's, in a way, whether he meant to or not, he's laughing at the critics. And in fairness, he's critic-proof. There are certain artists that are, and that's fine. But I just, it galls me every time. And it's getting, it's a race to the bottom. And it's getting worse. And I just don't know how you, like, how does this album stack up in that regard? I mean, like, and also, does it matter? Maybe not. Perhaps not at all. We're all tuning in anyway, and we all have opinions, and we can all give those opinions. I will say, to drill down into some of the stuff on the record, I mean, you mentioned the song We Cried Together, which features the actress Taylor Page, who was in Zola. Yeah, it's an amazing uh, job. Yeah, she's absolutely exceptional on this track. She's a wonderful actor, even in that film, which I didn't love. Very, very A24 in the worst kind of ways, based on the fucking Twitter thread. And boy, does it insist upon itself. But she's amazing, and she gives a hell of a performance in that movie. She gives a hell of a performance on this song. But I knew when it was over, I was like, I don't want to listen to that again. Uh, and now I have listened to it again, because I'm trying to listen to the entire album for the purposes of review. But I don't know if it's saying much, man, beyond the surface level obviousness of domestic violence bad and people complicated. It is Eminem's Kim with a bit more of a perspective, because it's not just one guy. 
but it's just even that thing like Whitney Alfred's kind of thing being like this is how people talk to each other that felt preachy um I don't know if it works I just don't know if it's if it's got quite the level of nuance that it thinks it has and that's across the record people have, have singled out anti-diaries for obvious reasons it is a uh, a song that's a narrative and it talks about the evolution of a human being from going from using gay slurs, which he uses in the song, um, yeah. to dead naming trans people, which he does in the song, uh, but ultimately arriving at a point of realization and a point of acceptance and growth and humanity. Now, who am I, a cis white male, to in any way say, this is how you should and shouldn't use language? And I won't do that. And I've seen people, I've seen trans people on the internet using, putting up very, very uh, informative and educational and important kind of conversation and dialogue and threads about this subject. And they are so much more educated and worth more listening to than I will. And I won't say that. But what I will say is there is a level of there can be an immediate kind of almost hysteria where it's like, he used the F word. It's like, well, yes, it's a narrative. It's a context. Yeah. It, it's there for a reason. It's not there to disparage. I'm very, I, I think this song is not in any way in bad faith. I think it is in good faith. And even the dead naming element of it, I think is important for the narrative because that's the point of it. I think he's challenging you in the right ways on this one. I think he does a good job with it. I think it's a very important moment for hip hop. I think it's a very important moment for people who listen to it. I would hope that people would take the right messages from it. It's still not perfect, though. I don't even know if it's a particularly great song. And there is a moment towards the end where his voice kind of elevates a bit when he's kind of confronting the local preacher who himself might be a bigot. And that's an amazing moment. The song has a really good yeah, stop. Yeah, I think the momentum and kind of acceleration of it is fantastic. Is excellent, yeah. And I think ultimately it is a very important song, but it's got missteps and I can totally understand why somebody would take offense to it. And like I say, it's not for me to to decide who does and who doesn't and, and how, blah, blah, blah. but I, I do think that I've seen some critiques of it saying, I, I this doesn't work at all because of the use of slurs and the use of dead naming. I think it needs to be there because you're telling a story, you're telling a real life thing and that's it's the literally point, coming from a place of ignorance because it's about make, an evolution, yeah. yeah. Make mistakes, fuck up, and try and learn from that, which is what he's trying to do. And I don't think it's there to try and just shock for the sake of it. I don't think it's there to piss people off. I think that is nuance. I think that is good, which I feel is missing from We Cry Together, which to me is just, it's a one-act stage play that you'd go to once and you'd, you'd appreciate the performances and you'd never want to watch it again. But I don't know if I'd never want to watch it again because, it, you know, it really said something to me. I just found it genuinely uncomfortable to listen to in a way that kind of transcended that in a bad way. But again, even me saying in a bad way, like, I don't feel comfortable even saying that at all. I don't know. I just, I, I think with this album, like, there are points where the the juxtaposition and the kind of duality of all this does work. I can see both sides of the record in that I can literally see both sides of the record and it does work in that way. But I just keep coming back to a situation of feeling a little bit too pushed outside of it. I think it's a, I think it's a tough, tough piece of work. And maybe it works in terms of the artist's intention of where he meant to get to with it. But I don't like spending time with it outside of individual moments there are moments where it flies, like coming out of We Cried Together, like the intro to Purple Hearts, you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like how, how can someone make these sounds? He is imperious and in command for the most part, but he's not without his missteps here. Whether it's the cancel culture thing, there's there's some bad lines where he says something like, you know, has he got a line where he's like, you know, people say I'm in the music business, but I'm actually in the human business? You're yeah. Like, Whoa. I mean, that's <laughs> par for the course with a hip hop record. And again, there's listen, a lot I, of bars. <laughs> I'm like, I, I fucking, I'm not a rapper. I'm not, a, I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a lyricist. Not that attitude. No. Um, and again, 
I don't feel comfortable even like taking individual lines and being like, well, that one's not great. But it kind of just stood out because he's usually like, like it, it's a little bit like, you know, it just felt like there was a bit of flab on this record or something in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting. And again, even the more we talk about it, the more I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I can appreciate that. And I can, yeah, that makes, that makes a bit more sense. And talking to people during the week and, you know, exchanging voice notes and reading pieces. There's a great piece uh, in Vulture, uh, Vulture magazine, written by Craig Jenkins, who's an excellent, excellent hip hop journalist. And he wrote this very, very good piece. Um, there was also, um, Craig can move us on to the next part, maybe play a piece of audio, because there is, there was one comment in particular that I read beneath an okay. article, and I was like, this is actually more substantive than the article itself. So I'm going to dig that out as you kind of maybe take my ramble away from us. And also, this is one of those ones, man, where like, at least Donda, like, I think I listened back to our Donda review, and I think that we came at it from a point of view of, we were almost too locked in going into that record. With this one, I feel almost like we're in... I feel like it's me and you and we're outside the lecture hall and we're walking into the exam and I'm like, I'm fucked, man. I don't know what to say about this and I don't feel confident. And maybe that's Kendrick's greatest trick. Maybe he has, in fact, made an incredible masterpiece that will reveal itself over time and I'm the ignorant one on the outside being like, ah, I'm not enjoying it that much, man. Boo-hoo, you know? Yeah, I do think he's trying things that don't quite come off at times. Um, with what we've just been talking about, let's maybe take a little bit of anti-diaries. Um, this is a listenable clip, um, so everyone can just sink into this and hear a bit of what's going on. Here you go. Kids with no filter. However, my auntie became a man and I took pride in it. She wasn't gay, she ate pussy, and that was the difference. That's what I told my friends in second grade. She picking me up from school, they stare at her in the face. They couldn't comprehend what I grew accustomed we pull off bumping quick like it was nothing. My auntie is a man now. What a relationship. I grew up fast. I needed no one to babysit. He gave me some cash, then gave me some game. Sherry freshen on the dash. I never complained. She even cut my hair at the pad. Was loving my fate. The first person I seen write a rap. Yeah, I was just very cautious of um, not just hitting people with a clip that had the F word. It was just like, uh, I completely gloss over the fact that he's talking about like eating pussy and all that kind of stuff. I was, I was like, oh, you know, like, no one core listeners are well. Here's something we can all enjoy. Yeah, here's some <laughs> Gather the kids around, folks. <laughs> They're going to talk about a nice song. Sorry, can I just say as well, I mean, like, and I debated bringing this up because the last thing I want is to put myself over here as some kind of fucking local hero because I'm not. But like, all I want... Drada hero. <laughs> well, it, this happened in Drada, and it was it happened recently. It was like I was home a few weekends ago, and I was having a drink with my brother down the road in the local pub. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm bringing this up because of the use of the F slur in this in, in 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 this song. And again, this might not even be relevant. Maybe I'll regret it. But like, ultimately, there was a moment where my brother went to the bar, and there was a table beside us of these young lads. They're in their fucking twenties, like their early twenties, and guy walked into the area that we were in and I guess they knew him that it was a friend of theirs and some guy at the table just went ah oh, whatever his name is yeah and like said the f-bomb as like a greeting and I froze man I genuinely froze I was like Jesus this is what the f- like how did that happen it was the casualness of the use of it I couldn't believe what had happened and yeah. I sat there I had a couple of beers in me but I sat there and like my legs started to just shake and I felt sick and I just, I couldn't. And again, listen, I am not a confrontational person in that way. And I'm not, this isn't me being like, you know, I stood up and I did something. This is not what I'm, this is not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because I felt really uncomfortable and I was shocked at the casualness of the, of, of the use of it. I just couldn't believe it. But I couldn't sit there and I couldn't say nothing. And before I knew it, I turned around to the table and I basically said like, who said that? What the fuck? And I full on, you know, confronted them over it and the guy apologized. And I, you know, said, I, I was like Will Smith of the Oscars. I was like, don't fucking ever say that word again. And he was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I went, don't fucking ever. And, I, and in my head, I was like, Dave, stop now. Pull away from this. You don't want to get the shit out of you. Um, but I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And like my brother was at the bar and I was like, 
I was just, no, 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 it's not like, like, it's not like, it's, it's not that. And I don't like, it's not, you know, my brother would have fucking jumped over the fucking table and rightly so, but it was just very, I was shocked. I was, I was so shocked that in 2022 or whatever, like, yeah, you don't expect it at all. It just seems alien, doesn't it? It was just, it was genuinely, and, but, but the one thing I will say is, I mean, like maybe like I, I desperately hope that that was a learning moment for that guy because that's the whole point of this song, I think. And the whole point of it is that like, you know, in people's lives, it can be a situation where you don't fully understand the gravity of what you're saying. And a word like this, which I'm sure I probably did fucking use when I was a dumb teenager. I don't recall doing that, but like, I know that I was around people who did. And maybe out of peer pressure, I joined in. Uh, and ultimately you look back on that and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. But these guys weren't teenagers in their twenties. But the point is education is important. And I'm not, this is not me being, again, the whole, this whole ramble here, I'm, I, I am regretting it because like, I don't know if I have a point and I'm not trying to make myself sound like anything. I'm just saying that like, it can take a situation that someone has to be confronted by a thing to realize that it's wrong. I think that's what this song is driving at. Yeah. I think it does get there. I think that is important because again, but then again, I mean like, and again, am, am I walking into dangerous territory here where it's like, is it okay for the word bitch to be thrown around so much? Or is that a very news night of me? Do you know what I mean? Like, who am I to police and take away? I've just well, seen this like, gets all back kinds to the of commentary. Thing of like, you know, people that read the, the New like, Yorker saying that this is the kind of hip-hop album we want to consume and you're kind of negating this entire hip-hop culture that doesn't belong to them. And, you know, that is always... I remember, I don't know if I said it on the podcast before, I probably have, but a clip of Joe Budden talking about how everyone is welcome in hip-hop even if you've killed people, you can be in hip-hop. That is the point of hip-hop. I'm not sure I agree with that take, but that is the stance that a lot of people in hip-hop culture would have. Do you know what I mean? So, like, leave the kind of white kind of rule. You know, there's there's a whole conversation yeah. we had and around again, that, which we won't get and into. Again, but yeah. I'm very aware that, like, you know, I am straying into that territory as well. And I don't. I don't balk at, like, you know, but I, I recognise the context of it. I, re- I recognise, like, you can't ignore cultural context. And, like, it is a situation where, you know, it's it's not even for us to in any way fucking comment or police on that. And I already feel like I have overstepped line. I don't mean to. Um, but let me read out a comment from Beneath the Stereo Gun piece uh, on that premature evaluation on the Friday night. And granted, the album was only eight hours at this point, but I did think that this comment was very cogent and said a lot. And I was like, yeah, that's a that, that's a very interesting read. So somebody with the name Dr. Mario uh, wrote the following beneath this article. To be honest, I feel bad that this piece had to get done. No one should have to write about this album right now. Nobody is ready to talk about it. Nothing mass culture talks about on a regular basis has anything close to the kind of vernacular and nuance we require in order to process what Kendrick has done here. I'm not speaking towards genius. I'm speaking towards unprecedented territory for A-list artists. Yes, Listeners wanted a messiah, and his journey made him wise enough to learn the truth behind the trauma his forerunners with the crown have endured yet eluded. Nobody can fill those shoes. So he stopped trying. He doesn't care how anyone reacts in this search for truth. He doesn't feel the need to defend himself or live up to anything. Why do we do this to artists? Why do we need them to be perfect? And when we ask for clarity on life's big questions, why do we need their answer to be something we'd like to hear? Why do we need an answer at all? I don't know if this album is good. I don't know if it's responsible to praise it or not, to let its faults slide. I don't know if honesty is enough to merit responsibility. I feel like we're broken, like we're looking for all the wrong things from the artists we respect and admire. I think Kendrick thinks we can all be better. I hope he's right. Now, that really struck me, and I feel like I myself have have almost kind of unfortunately gone the other way over the course of this week, and I think I have been trying to apply a critical, you know, definitive uh, something. And maybe I should have just let the album be what it is. Maybe I've been asking too much of it. And maybe I've been, 
you know, I'm wandering into places I shouldn't be and like sticking my nose in where it doesn't belong. And just, you know, like maybe this album is too, is too, is too well, What big you're doing is having for... a conversation in good faith. Is that not what we want? Do you know what of I mean? Of course. But, yeah. but I, but I just like, I do, I do wonder if, if like, if, if I'm just not equipped enough to understand this album like there that is that is entirely a possibility i'm yeah. coming at it like from a very kind of like selfish kind of surface level place of you know i want to enjoy it more which is not what it's supposed to be right and also i do think he is speaking to like different audiences at different times this is the thing i'm still myself trying to wrap my head around like i think with anti diaries he knows who the audience for that kind of song is and that's why the approach has to be the way it is. Like, people that are... That was a part of the Pitchfork review that I really took umbrage with. I don't know if you saw that kind of line, but I pulled it out because it kind of annoyed me. Um, They were basically saying Anti-Diaries was a failure. But the complaint was... um, Few rap listeners will be new to the word, so it was talking about the F, F slur, and his intentions are clear, so that they know it's in good faith. Uh, it goes on to say, but aren't there other stories he can tell about the trans people in his life? And I'm kind of like, are we at a stage where he can't talk about his own experience? Like, th- that clip we just played, it's the content of it is clearly humanising the person. They have a strong relationship. There's lovely details there about the journey they've both been on together and how they've supported themselves, each other as people. And yet we're going like, oh, but he's talking about himself too much. Like, well, what is an artist? Like, if as an artist, you can't do that. Where are we at? I think that is ridiculous. And there was a bit of that as well. And even in the in the stereo gun piece, which, you know, I think was mostly, again, written in good faith and, and did have good opinions in there. But there was a moment in that piece where it referred to this one and it referred to a line in the song where, you know, Kendrick talks about his cousin and says, oh, we don't, we don't hang out anymore because, you know, he, like he, he said something about it, 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 like it being too offensive. And the guy's like, well, maybe, Kendrick, if you weren't dropping the F-bomb. It's like, no, 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 Kendrick knows that. That's yeah. the point of the song. I mean, like, that was way yeah. too, like, stepping do, into, do people you know. not know that Kendrick could easily write a kind of performative piece that everyone would be happy with? This is the daring thing to actually get messy. And that's why... I'm kind of giving him the venom of of the doubt elsewhere where it is very messy at times. But I think he's trying things and I think... I think I've got to applaud him for that. That said, and I I didn't say much about the Kodak Black thing, I think that's a a misfire because the more I think about it, I see what he's doing. But I think in terms of the content of what Kodak Black is saying and the conversation I've seen around it just online and from people that, as you said, it's might know um, the story behind Kodak Black. Basically, you're just platforming him. And a lot of his bars are kind of doing that thing of just like, you know, I always knew things to turn around and talking about how success is almost validating where he's at. Now, I know Kendrick is doing a thing of just being like, you know, cautionary tale. And that could also be a conversation of like, is he manipulating a fellow artist by not revealing his true intentions of how he's using them? Um, But that's obviously way more minor. But I do think a lot of people are being like, oh, Kodak killed it on that one. Or, oh, this is a great kind of, you know, even Kodak himself is being like, I'm here with Kendrick. Like, I'm here with a legend. What does that make me? And it's clearly a boastful thing. And even if Kendrick is saying that this is a within the context of this record, don't be this guy and it's sad the vicious cycle he's in. The casual listener is not picking up on that. They're going, oh, Kodak Black is all over this Kendrick record. And he, you know, he's being platformed and he's getting lots of sales. So it's, to me, it's the same issue as the Donda thing, but people are just saying that it's not. Um, Because, again, that's because, like, I saw a comment during the week saying, like, well, you know, 
we gave Kanye the benefit of the doubt and look how he trampled it. But, you know, Kendrick's nice and he wouldn't do that to us. And it's like, well... It becomes really elementary, doesn't it? Yeah, It's extremely so. And also like the Kodak Black thing as well, where it's like another comment I saw during the week that kind of summed it up pretty well was they're like, well, even if Kendrick is doing the kind of devil angel thing and he's, you know, the cautionary tale thing and it's, and, and it's, it's art, it's deliberate, constructive of art, there's still a victim out there. Yes, who 100%. will be completely fucking... This is an unavoidable album an unavoidable moment in music and culture and that person will have to be routinely barraged by this in the last week or so so that's just is that fair you know um yeah ultimately the Kendrick thing and like there is like what I what I came away from like there is the possibility that we have to face here that Kendrick Lamar doesn't like you you know and that's okay because we have put him into this kind of savior complex thing that he himself is addressing literally on this in that regard but there's the possibility that the guy is flawed. And the guy is flawed because, like, if you look at, for example, there was a report there a while ago that when Spotify was going to pull the music of Tentacion, there was a report that Kendrick Lamar stepped in, had a conversation with them and said, if you do this, you can pull my music too. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true, but it was reported at the that, time. Yeah. And if it is true, well, that goes to show you that he... And, you know, his own kind of, uh, you know, things on this about referencing cancel culture and turning his nose up at that and saying that, you know, rappers have to censor themselves in this day and age. He ain't fucking perfect. And he's admitting that. And I do respect that. But there is also the thing of like, we need to kind of realize that it's like that comment I read out where they're like, why do we do this to artists? You know, people are flawed. Three dimensional people. Flaws come with that. Mistakes come with that. And we can't, you know, I think I think there's this weird narrative where like Kendrick Yay, Kanye Boo, and it's like Kendrick is perfect, infallible. Mm. And like I say, he, we believe that he represents a selection of values that I believe I represent. The truth, as is so often the case in so many things, is often somewhere in the middle. And again, that's fine. What isn't fine is maybe weaponizing it to some of the degree that he does on this album, where it does cross a line that you might not have expected them to cross. And if we're going to hold Kanye to account, we should be doing the same here, even if To Bimp a Butterfly is one of the most important albums ever made. Do you know? But again, in the role of the critic, I've rarely felt more uncomfortable. Maybe I'm protesting too much at this stage. I probably am. I think it's perfectly fine if he doesn't like us. I think, you know, we we just take what we need from the music and kind of move on. The closing track, he, sa- he says, you know, you won't grow waiting on me. And it's true. And we do put people up on pedestals. And we've never had Kendrick, I think, as a pa- patron saint of the show, have we? Which is weird. I don't think we have. <laughs> so we've it's, sidestepped that one. It's I, just I Cody and Frank. Is, I think part of it is because he, he doesn't lend himself to ribaldry too often i mean yeah kung fu kenny and stuff but generally he's kind of out there somewhere else he's, he's still in a bit of a mystery um whereas yeah. you know we're a lot more tapped into other kind of characters that again like we do this with love but like it's probably unfair as well like we kind of turn human beings into avatars and into kind of you know just like characters in books that we think we're reading but ultimately ultimately they're reading us craig i'm gonna stop talking now <laughs> we have a final <laughs> clip and then we'll give our final thoughts on a kind of score. Is there, is there one you would like us to play? Mother I Sober, uh, Mirror, Count Me Out? Uh, you, you, you put this together. You should you should pick the uh, the mood music. I really do think Mother I Sober is outstanding and a kind of watershed moment in terms of hip hop, but it's very, very heavy. So let's go with Mirror where it ends on a bright <laughs> note and he's been through his therapy and we're all going to be fine. Here we go. Here's the closing track. Fresh, you're fine in the- 
sorry you've been rejected by Kendrick. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a slightly too bouncy one, really, from the preceding tracks, I think, musically on that. But I will say, um, for my final thoughts, musically overall, I think it's pretty outstanding. I like the fact he's clearly going out on a limb. I like the fact that he is not doing that performative thing. I like the fact there's a barbed thing to what he's doing and that I disagree with him. I think there's definitely, definitely missteps here. But I also think there's a lot of empathy. I think this is the realest Kendrick we've seen. Um, Talent-wise, and kind of like in terms of the quality of the work, it's dexterous, it's imaginative, it's vibrant. Um, Some of the... We haven't even really got into the beats because it hasn't been that kind of (laughs) conversation to talk about beats. But there is some mind-blowing stuff. Saviour in particular, I think, is this swirling vortex of awesomeness. I love Warwise Steppers. Um, It's really, really high-level stuff. I'm going to keep going back to it. I'm, I'm properly invested I think I think it's going to be right there with Good Kid Mad City for me it's a very very strong 8 and climbing it's going to be a 9 I think for me okay I mean (laughs) I started off by saying I don't think it's interesting which I guess was (laughs) clearly disproven pretty quickly I just I yeah I can't quite articulate myself with this one and that's fine you know I mean finding the words for albums on any album can, can be very, very difficult. Um, yeah. Sometimes it comes naturally, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're challenged to such a degree that it breaks your brain a bit, and that's all right. I just wish I enjoyed it more. I do recognize that that in and of itself is a pretty fucking beige criticism, and, you know, it's that's, that's a Dave problem. That is not a Kendrick Lamar problem. However... I just think it is a bit too messy for its own good. Maybe that's the point. And there are albums, we've dealt with albums like this before in many capacities where it's like this thing, even like a pure comedy by Father John Misty where it's like this thing is designed to be overwhelming. It's designed, it's almost designed to make you walk away. Mm. And that in and of itself can be great art. Or it can also just be really fucking irritating at times. I've gone back and forth with this one. I've I've found myself in places being like, I'm not feeling this. And then I've been like, but wait a minute that stretch there was unbelievable and there's this track over here coming and that's incredible and I mean there are skips for sure um Kodak Black stuff not for me in any way in, in every sense we cried together I've heard it enough times it's great you know like like I, I I get it and you know it's an artistic statement and sometimes yeah. you gotta you gotta make them but yeah I don't know I just kind of feel like it's um it has it has definitely kind of tangled me up in knots in many ways and I'm still deeply uncomfortable with the critical reception that it got off the bat. I think that's a huge problem. I completely understand why it exists, but it's a problem. And that's not his fault. And he shouldn't concern himself with that, and I'm sure he does not. But it is curious just to see how when you anoint someone to such a degree, no matter what they do, becomes this kind of default, perfect, glowing orb of a thing. And he himself recognized that is, and so I have to respect that. I've gone back and forth on the idea of a score. I mean, at one stage I was even like, you know, way down like to 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 a much lower degree, but I'll go seven point five. I want to spend more time with it, even though I don't want to spend more time with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh it has kind of done a number on me. I think it's an important album. And I think it's definitely like I said earlier on, I think I said this is the album that he needed to make. It does feel like a full stop. You know, you say like, you know, the album ends with like, you know, very much a, you know we're going on to a new thing now. I don't know. I mean, like, what can he possibly do after this? You know, I mean, does he get into acting? <laughs> does he make a movie? You know, it, this feels like the end of a book. Go full it really, really does. And yeah, again, it's acting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, but again, I say, I, I say 7.5 and I, and I add yet again, I just, I don't feel comfortable. Um, the album is, is too, there's too much going on um, in, in both good and bad ways. 
And again, that's a good thing from a point of view of like giving you an awful lot to deal with. But I, yeah, I got to stop talking because I'm just going around in circles now. That's okay. Dave Hanrady is not your savior. He's just a very good music critic and French to us all. A, needs a holiday. And he's going to take he's one. He's getting one, yeah. <laughs> He'll be leaving you in the trusty, capable sonic architect hands of Adam Shanahan, who I believe is two thumbs up on this Kendrick album. He is, in fact, raising two thumbs. Unfortunately, we had some microphone difficulty with Adam this week, so he didn't get to weigh in as much as he maybe sounds he like a Dalek. To. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Um, we tried, but you know, it, you know, and it, it ain't perfect. Nobody is. Adam's close to perfect, but you know, yes, we've all got some. Um, we've all got some <laughs> some flaws. Uh, I won't be here next week because I'm going on holidays. Uh, Craig will, and yes. you'll be on with. Fanula Jones. Yeah, we're actually going on a trip to Harry's house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. A top five I've been waiting to do for ages, but you'll have to tune in for that one. Yeah. Yeah. A a different assignment, a very different assignment. Fanula Jones, uh, fresh from uh, conquering a Eurovision style night in which a song was written. I guess that would have to get played on. Yeah, yeah, because Adam produced the song. So that's going to have to get played on the show next week, right? Yeah, we're going to have a full discussion about it. It would be only right and proper. So yeah, Fanula's on board next week. I'm going on holidays, uh, much needed, especially after that review. <laughs> My God, was that <laughs> the worst review I've ever done? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I already I enjoyed that chat. We were, it was like it was like therapy. Mm. It was like we're working through stuff, which I think is I enjoyed good. the Keith Duffy bit. I'll, I'll say that much. That was oh, fun. that was golden. Imagine yeah. Keith Duffy on a Kendrick Lamar album, by the way. <laughs> 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 I mean, Beth Gibbons of Portishead turning up was a shock. Oh my God, yeah. I want to know more about how that just happens. Do you know what I mean? Does he just reach out? Like he just is banging into Portishead. He's, He's a big Oasis anybody. fan. Did you know that? Is, no, is he? Yeah, there's shots of him just like wearing Oasis shirts that have like Oasis <laughs> lyrics on them. Like, what? Yeah. Wow. He's an enigma. Yeah. Multi-layered. Um, right. Uh, that's the episode for the week. It's patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to help support the show, you'll get bonus episodes, you get episode previews, you get playlists, and our love, of course, that also comes with that. You get that in an envelope sent to your house. My <laughs> name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And Craig and Fnulu will be here next week. See ya. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.